The reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, and it's on page 1174. That's page 1174, starting at verse 11 of Ephesians 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Some words of the psalmist from Psalm 12. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver, refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you that your words are indeed flawless. Uh, We pray that your words would be at work in our hearts today by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, any uh, Americans among us this morning, I hope you enjoyed uh, your Monday, your day off on uh, Monday. Uh, Because last Monday, along with your fellow citizens, you would have celebrated the Martin Luther King Memorial Day. Uh, That day, the third Monday in January, not a Blue Monday, but a Martin Luther King Monday, is set aside in all U.S. states to remember uh, the great leader of the civil rights movement. And it's the Martin Luther King Memorial that stands in Washington, D.C., that I was fortunate enough to visit several years ago, which records one of the most famous speeches uh, ever Given, spoken back in 1963. These words will be familiar to you, I'm sure. I have a dream, he said, that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the former, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice and oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contents of their character. I have a dream 
that one day, right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white girls and white boys as sisters and brothers. I have a dream. They are stirring words. It is a dream that is so beautiful. And yet it is a dream that is as elusive and eludes us as ever. We live, friends, in a divided world. Whether we look at global disharmony and the wars that we're currently facing, or closer to home, we look at the racial, the social, the class divisions that are everywhere. We are more defiantly divided than ever before. Uh, a tribalism and a division that leads to greater anger and hostility and tension between peoples, rather than inclusivity and harmony. One only has to go on Twitter to read of the vitriol and anger that exists. Division and disharmony is everywhere. This week I caught uh, Prime Minister's Questions Times, and I mean, the, the vitriol and anger that takes place there is extraordinary. But closer to home, think back to your own Christmas Day. I bet there were some words said then or after. And of course, we've not even started uh, with the Church of England yet, have we? So I occasionally get to go along to uh, gatherings of clergy. And what is striking is how people who serve the same God on behalf of the same employer could not be more divided. I have a dream. What is your dream? What about you? And therefore, it seems that God's plan for unity and reconciliation for this world has failed. You see, the main thrust of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is encapsulated just back in chapter 1 and verse 10. God's plan is to unite all things under Christ. Let me read from chapter 1 verse 9. So we read there, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. If you're a visitor with us here this morning, or, or you're new to the things of the Christian faith, that is God's plan, to reconcile rebels like us to himself and to one another in the church through the cross, under Christ. And two Sundays ago, and in our home group subsequently, we've begun to see this in the first half of chapter 2, how it's God's grace alone that transforms individuals, even though we were spiritually dead, despite of the fact that we were enslaved to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, even though we were condemned for our sins and deserving of eternal punishment, because of his great love for us. Verse 4. He, he made us alive with Christ. Verse 5. And spiritual life, which we receive as we would a gift at Christmas time, brings with it huge potential for good. For pardon leads to purpose. 
Have a look at verse 10, the verse before our passage this morning. For we are, we read, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Saved not by our good works, but saved for good works, as we learnt last Sunday. And our passage today, verses 11 to 18, is intimately related to what we've been reading and learning these past two weeks. For if all things are to be united in him, Christ, he must somehow unite Jews and Gentiles both to God, but also to each other. And so God's plan doesn't just concern me and my relationship with him, but God's plan, we're going to see this morning, it concerns our collective or our corporate identity as the people of God. The reality of the gospel is that it's not all about me. Is that liberating? It concerns all of us corporately. So I think what is taking place here in verses 11 to 18, it's as if the Apostle Paul lifts the bonnet and he's allowing us to see the engine or or the mechanism, the workings of what makes it possible for unity between divided people to become a reality. And in doing that, we're going to see how God's grace transforms not just individual lives, but can transform families, communities, countries. And because of that, before we dive in, these verses, they they aren't just important for us as a church, those of us here this morning, they are so important for the people out there. For they teach us that horizontal peace between people, be that with your family or your neighbours or your work colleagues, that horizontal peace is available through a vertical peace with God. A peace that is only possible and which, of course, is freely available through the death of Jesus. Which is why the Middle East, the Middle East doesn't primarily need diplomats to negotiate deals. It needs missionaries to preach Christ. Broken families don't primarily need a counsellor to fix their problems. They need Jesus to change our hearts. Real peace is really possible in Christ. Let's see that as we consider these verses under two headings uh, this morning. Uh, These are our two headings this morning. Remember what you once were, verses 11 to 12. Realise what you now have in Christ. So first heading, remember what you once were. Let me read verse 11 and 12 again. We read, therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Like us here today, uh, I imagine, the church at Ephesus would have been a majority, if not an overwhelming majority, Gentile church. 
Gentiles uh, is a term to describe everyone who is not born a Jew. So he writes what he does at the start of verse 11. Now, we would have all uh, grown up experiencing uh, nicknames. Some nicknames uh, can be very cruel. I won't share with you what I was called. Uh, I guess it doesn't sound like much of a put down to us, uh, but to be called uncircumcised there in verse 11, that was the mocking nickname that the Jews gave to the Gentiles. It was meant to remind the Gentiles that it was the Jews and not any others who were God's chosen people. But Paul shows there in verse 11 that physical circumcision is neither here nor there. It's simply something done in the body by human hands. It's a stupid nickname because circumcision was worthless when it came to bringing true spiritual life. It was only ever intended to be an outward sign, not the inner grace, an external mark of God's people under the old covenant. And the Gentiles, they of course had far bigger problems than just being uncircumcised. And Paul mentions five of them just in verse 12. We've got these uh, five withouts. I'll whistle through them. So first of all, they're without Christ. Verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Given what Paul has said in this letter, those few words in verse 12 are devastating. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul showed that God had given the Christian believer every spiritual blessing, not in the church, but in Christ. In him, we read, we've been chosen, we've been redeemed, we've been sealed. And two weeks ago, at the start of chapter 2, we saw that we've been made alive with Christ. And we've also been raised with Christ. So the source of all God's blessings are found in Christ or with Christ. And therefore, to be separate from Christ is a tragedy. I know many of our friends and family don't uh, realize this, and maybe you don't yet understand this or appreciate this for yourself, but to be separate from Christ is the biggest problem anyone can have. But that's not the only problem these Gentiles had. They were, secondly, without citizenship. Without citizenship. If you're a citizen of a place, it, me- it means you, you belong. You have rights. You have a standing. But but Gentiles, they didn't have those blessings, unlike Israel, the people of God. And it's not just that they weren't citizens of Israel. They were, verse 12, do you see, excluded from citizenship in Israel. They couldn't hope to get the right passport. They were ineligible to obtain the correct visa. Problem number three closely follows. They were without promise. When it comes to the covenants or promises that God made to his people in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were foreigners to these promises. Now, now the alert among us uh, will know, look, look, Rupert, there were hints given in the Abrahamic covenant. Yes, there were. But the Davidic, the Mosaic, the majority of the Old Testament covenants, well, they were promises for Israel. And it's like Paul is reminding them that before they became Christians, There was something like the Berlin Wall that kept them outside 
of God's blessings. And therefore, fourthly, they were without hope. Without hope. They were spiritually dead, separate from Christ, spiritually adrift, without citizenship, without the promise. It's pretty miserable, isn't it? The Gentiles had no grounds for optimism. To be hopeless is such a sad way to describe anyone. But hopeless is what these Gentiles were before God's power came to them. For fifthly, finally, they were, we read, without God. In the Bible, God, amongst many, many other things, we read, he's the source of light, he's the source of love, and he's the source of life. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He is the father who gives every spiritual blessing in Christ. And before the miracle they experienced in their hearts, these Gentile Ephesians, well, they were without God. And Paul sums this sort of litany of withouts up rather well in verse 13. Have a look with me. He says, you who once were far away. I always enjoy a child's perspective on life, play hide and seek with a young child. And even though you might just be next door in the sitting room, uh, to them, you are miles away. Well, when Paul says here, far away in verse 13, he's not saying that they were just in the next door room or a few miles away. They were in a galaxy far, far away. Oh, some Star Wars fans. (laughs) Do you see what he's saying? That that they couldn't be further away in regards to their relationship with God. I've got a very good friend who is a Jewish believer in Jesus. And yet I take most of us in this room this morning are Gentiles by background. That is, we haven't come from Jewish families. And Paul would say to you and I, as he said to those in the church at Ephesus, remember comes in verse 11, and it comes again in verse 12. Remember what you once were. Remember that you once were far away. Remember the hopeless pit from which you came. As one commentator has put it, you were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, godless. Far off. And for those who aren't yet Christians here with us this morning, please don't think your past ever therefore disqualifies you from being welcomed home by God. All of us in this church have a past. And all of us who are Gentiles were at one time separated and excluded from God. And the Bible would say to us this morning, recognize the reality of your spiritual situation. It is hopeless outside of Christ. You might not think you've got a problem, but dear friend, without Christ, you have no citizenship, no promise to lay hold of, no hope, and no God. Remember what you once were. 
And if you are a Christian believer this morning, do you see how that leaves no ground for pride? None of us in this room have any reason to boast. Remember what you once were. But second, he goes on to say, realize what you now have in Christ. And this is verses uh, 13 to 18. Realize what you now have in Christ. Throughout history, you'll know there's been so many divisions. So you have communists and uh, capitalists. You have east and west, left and right wing, black and white, rich and poor, Liverpool, Everton, City, United. And in many ways, the division between sort of Jew and and Gentile, it, it is slightly lost on us today. But friends, the reality of the situation in the first century was that if you were a Jew, you were not allowed even to shake the hands of a Gentile. A a Jew couldn't eat a meal or or give advice even to their Gentile neighbor. A, A Jewish midwife, if Sarah was working in Ephesus in the first century, a Jewish midwife was was forbidden from helping in the delivery of Gentile babies. Do you know why, what the thinking was? The thinking went, you're only producing another log for the fire of hell. Or if a Jewish Romeo wanted to marry a Gentile Juliet, do you know what the family did? Instead of a wedding, they had a funeral. Do you see the enmity that there was? It's as if there was an electric barbed wire fence surrounding the Jews and preventing any mixing with the Gentiles. Or as verse 14 puts it, there was a barrier, a dividing wall of hostility. Now this dividing wall of hostility that Paul spoke of is most likely metaphorical here, but there was a literal wall in the physical temple in Jerusalem which was separating Jews and Gentiles. And that physical wall, it was a powerful symbol of separation. Jews were separated from Gentiles, even while both were separated from God. They couldn't go into the holiest of holies. Now, do you see what he's saying, what has happened in Christ and the gospel? Now, in Christ, that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been smashed. Demolition job carried out. Smashed because, this is where we get really technical, stay with it everyone. Because the way the Old Testament law defined the differences and created the division between Jew and Gentile, those ceremonial laws of which circumcision was one, Christ, through his life and his death, makes it of no effect. He nullifies it, if you like. He renders it ineffective and he takes away its divisive sting. So just as there was once a barrier between all humanity and God, the barrier of their sin, there was also once this barrier that separated Jew and Gentile. It was called the Old Testament law. But when Christ came, and that's what the reference to the blood is in verse 13, when Christ died on the cross... He removed that barrier and he replaced it with a completely new way of relating to God and to one another. Do you see verse 14? For he he is himself our peace. Yet crucially, 
and stay with us on this point. Jesus' death wasn't simply a ticket by which a Gentile transfers across to becoming a Jew. No, a whole new man, or better English today would be a whole new humanity, has been created through the cross. Have a look halfway through verse 15, if you would. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, or new humanity it should read, out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, and in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Or just look over the page to chapter 3, verse 6. It's a big theme in Ephesians. Chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There was a time uh, in the history of this church that in order to be the youth worker on the staff, you had to have the name Rupert. (laughs) And you, you had to have spent some time in the British Army. That was preferable. But not any part of the British Army. You had to have served in the finest regiment in the British Army. Uh, the Royal Green Jackets. It was a golden era of this church. <laughs> but um, sadly for some of us, at least two of us in the room, uh, the Royal Green Jackets no longer exist. Our regiment uh, was done for. We had to amalgamate with other regiments. And, and I suppose amalgamations of army regiments or companies or businesses, they're always a bit problematic, aren't they? And it's only after a period of time and possibly a change of personnel and when maybe some people have moved on or new people have come in uh, that a totally new identity emerges and the whole thing gets some traction and works. Well, what we're seeing here in Ephesians 2 is that Jesus binds believing Jews and believing Gentiles back together in the church And for your notes, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32, uh, it'll come up on on the screen. So Jesus' death doesn't make Christian Jews. His death doesn't make Christian Gentiles. No, he makes the Christian church. It's a new humanity. God's regiment, if you like, as enemies are reconciled and united. The two have become one. So there's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, they are Christians. A whole new humanity has been created. Or as John Stott puts it, there is a whole, uh, there is God's new community created. And that's why Paul will write in Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that doesn't diminish our differences, but it unites us in salvation as different people. And friends, here's the thing. If Jesus and his death can bind Jews and Gentiles together, then no division, cultural, social, sexual, racial, 
is beyond the reconciling power of the cross. See the peace that Paul is talking about in verse 17. That is a peace that is not just a nice feeling. It's the peace that war is over between God and between one another. Real peace with God and real peace with one another is possible for through one man, Jesus, we've been bound together. And as we remember what we once were, we are to realize, therefore, what we now have in Christ. Christ's love for you and the peace he longs for each of us to experience is there for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our background, no matter what's taken place in the last 24 hours, for all those who will trust in him through the cross, we can be united to him and therefore we're united to one another. Isn't it wonderful in verse 17, we read that Jesus came to preach peace to those who are near to the things of God. I take it those are the religious Jewish people. But he also came to preach to those who are further away, the Gentiles. And by that I take to understand those who are furthest away from the things of God. A peace which means that both the religious and the wicked can have access to God the Father by the Spirit there in verse 18. But we're going to get more of that next week, I'm sure. So just as we finish, those two headings again. Remember what you once were. Realize what you now have in Christ. The fact that you and I are sitting here this morning is a bit of a miracle, I think. Gentile believers in Jesus. We're part of God's plan. Chapter 1, verse 10. It's not just a dream like Martin Luther King's. It is a reality. God's plan to reconcile all sorts of people to himself and to one another in the church, through the cross, under Christ, is at work. And what is amazing, the privilege I have of visiting churches all over this country and all over the world, is you see one verse, chapter 1 verse 10 being worked out. All sorts of different people being united together. So friends, this gathering is rather special, isn't it? And it's an enormous privilege for any one of us to be part of God's bride, the local church. So we do have to look after one another. We do want to serve one another. We do want to work hard to maintain the unity of the spirit by the bond of peace. That's what he's going to talk about from chapter 4 onwards, the application. But if you look at chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, he says, look, this unity is precious. Therefore, we must work hard to it. And of course, let's continue to play our part in God's plan to bring peace and reconciliation to this divided, angry world. Let's pray. Let's proclaim. Let's resource. Let's get involved so others in Basingstoke, across the country, all across the world, can experience being part of God's new humanity. Let me pray as we close. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Heavenly Father, as we take a moment to consider how far from you we once were, dead in our trespasses and sins, without Christ, without citizenship, 
without the promise, without hope, without God. We want to praise and thank you this morning that through your son, the Lord Jesus, through his perfect life and his obedient death, through the blood that he shed, we've been brought near. Thank you that we have access to you now by the Spirit. And thank you that we can now love one another with the same love that you've loved us. Please strengthen us to serve one another and to love Christ's bride, the church, so he would receive all the glory that he deserves. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.